Hey, it's your host, Dubs Weinblatt, here with an incredibly special episode of Thank You For Coming Out. It's not often that you get to interview your heroes, and I've been so lucky and fortunate to interview a handful of mine. And today, I get to add another one to that list, Glennon Doyle. This conversation was so special, and we talk about um, what it means to do hard things and what it means to trust ourselves. We also talk about her incredible life-changing book, Untamed. Uh, Also, Glennon gave me a signed copy of Untamed, and as much as I want to keep it for myself, I actually think it'd be better to give it to you. All you have to do is follow Thank You For Coming Out on Instagram, at Thank You For Coming Out. And then before next week's episode, we're going to pick... Pick a, a follower at random and announce it on Instagram um, next week. So please go ahead and hop on over to Instagram like us at thank you for coming out. And that's it. That's your chance to win a signed copy of Untamed. This conversation was so special and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the queer improv show, Thank You For Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this particular podcast episode is different because we're recorded recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, which means we are physically distancing, we're not in the same room, and we are doing the best we can with what we have. And holy moly, I can't believe I get to introduce our guest for today, an incredible woman and role model, someone who truly embodies living authentically and following your truest heart. She is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Untamed, a Reese's Book Club selection. She's also the author of New York Times bestseller, Love Warrior, an Oprah's Book Club selection, and Carry On Warrior. An activist and thought leader, she is the founder and president of Together Rising, an all-women-led nonprofit organization that has revolutionized grassroots philanthropy, raising over $25 million for women, families, and children in crisis. Friends, Say hello to Glennon Doyle, she, her. Hi, Glennon. Dubs, hello. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being here. This is truly like such a gift and such an honor and I'm so grateful. Me too. Me too. I've been looking forward to this all week. Oh, me too. Twins. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't know if, I don't mean to put you on the spot. We actually met one time before Mm -hmm. and do you remember? I do. Yes, but I didn't remember until I read what you had written. And then Abby and I both looked at that and realized who you were. Yes. Oh my gosh. Together. Because you met Abby too. You guys were, you were, both of you were speaking and I was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't believe you remember. I just, that moment was so special to me. And I like cried before I even talked to to either of you. And it just was, uh, so I'm hoping not to cry, but I also might cry because I'm human. I would love that. Okay, great. I believe in tears. I Um, believe in them. Me too. Um, So I asked you to bring something that reminds you of pride. Mm -hmm. And I would Mm -hmm. love to know what you brought. Okay, I have two things. Oh, great. So first, I have my favorite wedding picture. Can you see this? 
Yes. This is oh. my, one of my favorite wedding pictures of me and Abby. And then um, I also have Hold Place. Okay. This insane situation, oh my which gosh. is my rainbow shrug, which um, Abby won't let me wear out of the house. So <laughs> she calls me a gay bird of paradise in this. Oh my God. Um, but this is my, somebody sent this to me, I think last year during pride. And I just think it's so cozy and wonderful. And I do wear it around the house. That's amazing. I love that. Yes. Um, yes, yes. Thank you for sharing those. That, that wedding picture is beautiful. And like, like you can like feel the love through the picture, through the screen. I'm there. Yeah. Best day of my life. Wow. Best day of my life. Didn't ever think it would happen. Didn't ever think I'd have a day like that. Wow. Well, I'm definitely going to ask you more about that in a minute, but I want to show you what I brought. So um, my friend sat down and started painting and didn't even know what she was painting. Um, and for, I guess everyone's listening and can't see what I'm holding up. It's a rainbow with the word love in the middle. Um, and it's the, uh, the, basically the trans pride flag in the middle and then the um, LGBTQ like rainbow flag in the, um, on the outside. And it just reminds me um, of community and friendship and how showing up for each other is all we can do and um, making everyone just feel a little bit less alone. And so that's what, that's what I wanted to bring to the conversation. I love that. I love that. What you just said about just making everyone feel a little less alone. If that is all we do for the rest of our lives, right? I mean, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And that's what all you do. All of this showing up, all of this showing up and just telling our stories and people go, me too. Mm-hmm. And that just makes us a little braver and more cozy on this earth. Definitely. Oh, I love it. Okay. So we all have multiple coming out stories. And so I would love to hear one of yours. One of them. I have so many. Yeah. I, about this interview, I'm like, which one will I tell? It felt like there were layers, so many layers of it, right? Yeah. Um, I guess one of the more, well, first of all, I, I suppose coming out to myself was an interesting process. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I um, first saw Abby and felt this just, God, how do I describe it? I don't know, this uh, electric shock of you you know, the three words that were inside of me when I saw her was there she is. Mm. It was, it didn't feel like a meeting as much as a, a reunion Mm. of some sort. It all sounds so wild and ridiculous. And I being someone who never even really believed in romantic love my Mm. entire life and slightly humiliated that I now have a story I have to tell that is a love at first (laughs) Yeah. Every time it makes me sweat, but it's true. So I have to tell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess the way I had never, I had no context for what I was experiencing when I first saw her mm-hmm. because I had never dated a girl. I had never kissed a girl. I had no, I didn't understand what was happening. Um, and so I guess I did feel like at some point I had to and and I think it's probably an interesting conversation to us for us to have because whenever I use the word choice, it is very um, problematic and also freeing for some people. But it, it's it's loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did feel at some point like I had to decide whether I was going to be open to that 
um, feeling or that exploring that part of my sexuality or whatever it was that it, I did have to decide whether I was going to be open to it or not. Absolutely. Or just shut it back down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess the first, I actually remember sitting in my freaking mirror because this is how dramatic I am. Okay. I have to have like these huge moments for myself. <laughs> I sitting, I was on, it was like this floor to ceiling mirror that I was, um, it was kind of leaned up against the wall and I was sitting in front of it in my bedroom and just looking at myself thinking, yes, yes, this is what we're going to do. We are not Mm going to abandon ourselves anymore. We're going to be open. We're going to open ourselves to this. Um, And so that was, I guess, the first true coming out, which then led to all the other ones, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, So then I sat with my then husband and told him, that was a doozy mm-hmm. of a coming out. Um, he, we had been through so much together and we had made it through infidelity in our marriage and lots of things, <laughs> lots of tough things. Mm-hmm. And so while this was a tough thing, he had an incredible amount of grace and was less shocked than one might think one's husband would be when mm. one tells one hus- <laughs> one's husband that she's in love with a woman. I have found that. That people that I thought would be shocked were like, oh, Mm -hmm. right? So maybe some other things made sense to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the coolest parts was when I came out and told the story of me and Abby to the the world. Mm -hmm. A lot of people thought that that was going to be the end of my career. I mean, I had entire my agents, my editors saying, this will be it. This will be it because I had a largely faith-based community at that Mm -hmm. point. Um, And what was really amazing about that day is one day I just posted a picture of us and just told the story, just I'm in love with her. Um, This is my life now. And the, I went offline because I was so scared. (laughs) I just thought, okay, I am responsible for telling the truth, but I'm not responsible for however anyone reacts to the truth. Totally. So I've done my job. Now I'm walking away. Mm -hmm. My sister, who's kind of my keeper in life, called me a couple hours later and she said, I need you to get back online. I need you to look at this post. Um, I need you to see how people are reacting to your truth and your story. And um, it was just an, I thought it was going to be a bloodbath and it was like a baptism. Mm. It was like people who, people who didn't even really get it, who were shocked were like, okay, all right, all right. We can be like, they were trying so hard to be open and beautiful and, um, I don't know. It just made me remember that actually people just really, really want to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like you can feel the truth. You can hear the truth. You can uh, feel it in your bones and whether or not it jives with every idea you have about the way people are supposed to be. There's something about hearing the real truth that feels exciting and freeing to people. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that all of those different layers were of coming out, um, they each made me just a little bit braver, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and also made me realize and, and really believe what I have always suspected is true about people, which is that people are better than we think they are. They're also worse than we <laughs> think they are. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that's what happened. Like the worst got worse, right? The people that I knew would be bad were worse than I thought. Mm-hmm. But, but the masses of people um, in the middle mm-hmm. you know, were better than I thought and have continued to be. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, 
I have so many questions, so I'm just going to dive in. The first thing that struck me that you were talking about is that you never believed in romantic love your whole life. And I, and I'm wondering if you've thought about this, of that, is it because you've never thought of yourself in like the authentic relationship that you were meant to have, like with a woman? I think so. Mm-hmm. So this is the tricky thing, right? Because, and, and this is, this is such a challenge when talking about sexuality in ways of, okay, is it something you're born with for everyone? Is it something that's for some people that you're born with and for other people that's fluid? Is it because looking at it one way, I can find a lot of pieces of evidence from the beginning that maybe point me towards the idea that actually this is how I I was born this way. And I've been trying to fit myself into uh, relationships that were presented to me as the right way to do things. Mm -hmm. So in trying so hard to connect with men over time, there was always something that was lacking there. Right. It was just like, and, and a lot of people will look back. I mean, if you look back at love warrior, it kind of reads now like one long cry for help. Like what the hell, what the hell is this love thing that everyone's talking about? And why can't I feel it? And what am I doing wrong? And like, why can't I feel intimacy physically or emotionally? Um, mm-hmm. And, and so there's that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when I finally found Abby, it was just like, you know, I don't know all these cheesy metaphors that writers use, but it really was like wearing shoes that were like six sizes too small my entire life. And finally putting on one that fit and it was like, oh, yeah. right. This oh, is what it's supposed to feel like. This is what it's supposed to feel like. Mm-hmm. Everyone hasn't been lying to me because honestly, Dubs, I just thought everybody was full of shit mm-hmm. with all this Disney romantic crap. I really did. I mean, the joke of my family what I was that I was like this ice queen that like, we used to, I used to say crap like, well, you know, I guess some people are born with um, laser love and I'm more of a floodlight. Mm. I just like to give a little bit of love to everyone, but I don't feel lasered into one human being, which must have been lovely for my other partners <laughs> to hear me <laughs> say. Right, right. Right. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Makes me feel special. Right. Um, and now I am just a freaking laser. <laughs> Right. I have, I've even lost some of the flood. I'm like, no, 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 this is, this is the thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then also, you know, if I'm being completely honest, I had some connections with early on with, I can think of one boyfriend that I felt really connected to. So I don't know. I don't know. I can collect evidence either way. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, part of most, so much of what you talk about in Untamed is breaking out of what we're, what's meant to be and what's supposed to be. And mm-hmm. I don't doubt that you felt a genuine connection with a man mm-hmm. and that doesn't negate your genuine connection with Abby, you know, mm-hmm. like both can be true. And I think so much of our conditioning as humans is to think in these binary ways. Mm-hmm. And as a genderqueer trans person who has broken out of the gender binary, mm-hmm. I think about this all of the time. And want people to know that they can, anything that's true to them is true to them. Mm-hmm. And no matter what anyone says, that's their opinion and shouldn't, even though it feels hard to sometimes take that on. I was, so I was watching the video that you posted about your, your essay permission slip and the conversations oh. that you were having about, is it a choice? Was I born this way? And I like, kind of like what you were saying, like, I fully get the, the activists and the people who are the, the black trans women who have been fighting and fighting and fighting for queer liberation. 
And I think there needs to be room for nuance and that, yes, this is true. And what else is true is that your experience might not fall into that bucket Yeah. of, of feeling like you were, that you were feeling that way. Yeah. Yes. And, and it's this and both situation. Like mm-hmm. I, so the way I've been thinking about it now after this beautiful experience I had a couple of weeks ago where I was talking about that essay I wrote in Untamed about, okay, well, what if I did choose my sexuality? Like, first of all, it was more of a thought experiment because I am not ready. I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not landed anywhere. I'm still like, woo, I don't know what's happening. So, mm-hmm. um, but a thought experiment, like what if I did choose it? Um, and then afterwards, you know, there was a lot of, of, of LGBTQ people who wrote to me and they were like, I feel like you just gave me permission to explain how I feel because I haven't always identified with the born this way narrative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then many other activists wrote to me and I had beautiful conversations with them that week about how, yes, okay, this is what I think it is. I have been speaking about feminism for a long time. Okay. So I'm out on the road, like women should be entitled to a space. Women should be entitled to a voice. Women are entitled to whatever. And then dubs every once in a while, this like 20 freaking year old feminist shows up on the scene and she's just like got this swagger and like boldness about her and what should be, what should I, I should find it inspiring, but it's like so annoying to mm-hmm. me and my friends because we're like, why is she so entitled? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like the answer is because we've been working our asses off <laughs> so that these new women can show up entitled, right? Mm-hmm. I think I'm the annoying one. I think I'm like the new queer person who's like bold and brazen is like, what if it is a choice? And, and there's a lot of people who have been in the movement for so long that are like, wait a minute, like, yes, bring your boldness, but also bring your humility and respect Mm -hmm. for the fact that this born this way narrative, while might not be, you know, absolutely true for everyone is what's protecting a lot of the queer community that are in families and communities and religions where born this way is the only shield and narrative for them against conversion therapy and all Mm -hmm. their, their homophobic communities need that narrative to respect them or protect them. Right. So, so it's this and both of, of, um, Pushing the narrative that, 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 that is true to me while also mm-hmm. coming in humility and respect for what is needed, because I will never forget this. One of my activist friends during that week, she, you know, she's just always like, all right, Glennon. All right, let's talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sit down. <laughs> yeah. She said, when you claim freedom, yay, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. It sounds like you're saying oh, the queer people have arrived. Everyone accepts us. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that the world accepts like 10 queer people, okay? And they're people with fame and people with a level of hipness and people with whiteness and people with thinness and people with ability. And like, they're they're you, okay? So like, don't claim, it's like when the young feminists come to me and they're like, women are free. And I'm like, no, no, white, thin, abled women are free, Mm -hmm. right? Sit back down. Because black people of color, uh, indigenous women, like there's all of these people that are still not, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think that's what the activists in the queer community were saying. Like, just because yeah. you're, just because the world's embracing you. Right. It's a different story for the whole queer community. So I don't know. I just, yeah, I loved it. 
I loved that experience of people being kind and brave enough for me to first of all say, eh, that's not exactly it. Or that's it and there's more. Mm -hmm. And then having those conversations that like shifted my entire brain around and coming back and saying, yes, that. But also, so Born This Way stands. Mm -hmm. But also it shouldn't stand at the exclusion of all other queer narratives. Mm -hmm. Right? Like we, although it's more complicated legally and in um, lots of communities, we still have to insist protection and belonging for all queer people, regardless of how they describe their queerness. Right. Definitely. I think about this all the time too, because I, I remember when first coming into my identity, first a, like a, a gay identity and then a trans identity, explaining to my family, like the way that I wanted them to hear me was, I didn't choose this. Like that was like, that was my first like round. Mm-hmm. And then as I grew up and like, learned and listened and read and experienced the world. It's like, I am choosing, there is choice involved. I am choosing to live how I'm living. I could be presenting in a very different way. I could be in a heterosexual presenting relationship, but I'm choosing to live my authentic life and thinking about how much transphobia and homophobia is wrapped up in the choice and like, if I didn't, do you know what I mean? And it's like, yes! it's so complicated, but it's also so nuanced that it's like, there's so many levels to this conversation. Yes. And, and I think like, and it's so exciting, right? It's like, yeah. so born this way is so what I learned that week too, mm-hmm. is that born this way, that, that narrative is so empowering for some people. Mm-hmm. It's so not empowering to me because it feels to me like there's transphobia and homophobia wrapped in it. Like it's just a response it's a response to oppressive norms, right? Mm-hmm. Because to me, it feels like it's saying, okay, I'm sorry, I would be, I would be straight if I, if I could be, but I can't, so I'm gay. So can you please just like be nice to me? Like, totally. whereas I have to, that's just so, and I, and I think that we have to think about that in terms of an, other marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. Like we would never expect, okay, so, so uh, black people in America, what if their narrative was, well, I would be white if I could, but I can't, I'm black, so can I just be, no. Or like Muslim Americans, I would be Christian if I could, but I can't, so I was born this way. So like, it doesn't feel right to me because it feels like there's a little bit of deference in it that mm-hmm. I don't feel. And also, I cannot tell you how much more I love my life living in a same-sex marriage, being a part of the queer community that I ever did before. Like if I could choose, I would choose this every day. I would, I love it. I love being queer. I love being in a marriage with a woman. I love every, like, I don't love, I would change the homophobia. I would change the the religious bigots. I would change all of that, but I wouldn't change this. I almost feel sorry for my straight friends right now who are trying to like, so I guess I just, Coming from, a, coming from a Christian religious background, I can, I can feel this bit of deferential to all that crap in it that I just want to like double and triple down on. Mm-hmm. And like, and I don't know, I think like you are choosing it every day. Like yeah. you made that choice when you got a divorce and you it made the choice. Be dying inside that marriage. That would have been in some ways easier. Right. I could have decided just to not be open to it, just to shut that part of myself down. Mm -hmm. So there is an element of choice. Then like, 
The word choice scares the crap out of people too. Yeah. Because like my friend said, who, who grew up just completely gender nonconforming said, I have, I fear that people will hear you say the word choice. You know, all these moms follow you, all these moms will hear the word choice and they will look at their little ones who are maybe gender nonconforming and they will think that choosing that it's choice and then they will see it as noncompliance, right? That nonconforming could look like noncompliance and I get that too. So it's just very complicated. It is really complicated. And I think we just got to keep talking about it and lifting up the nuance of more than one thing, you know, many things can be true at the same time. That's it. And like we pick the narrative that feels the most authentic to ourselves. And like, that's the work that we're doing is to create liberation for everyone, no matter what their journey is or no matter what their authentic self is. That's right. It's gotta be it. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I want to keep, we kind of like started talking about untamed, but I want to keep talking about untamed. And I want to say first that like, I wasn't actually sure before I started reading it that I would be able to relate to it because so many people had told me that it's like very like women powered central mm-hmm. and like, women woman focused and I'm not a woman and I was like well let's just give it a, a whirl and see what happens um and what I love about what you wrote even though that there of course it's like women empowerment but there's so much to what you write that is universal that any gender identity can feel and relate to um so I just wanted to let you know that I was able to get into your book thank uh, you <laughs> yeah, yeah I I'm devoured so glad. it really. I'm so glad um so one of the one of the things that I, I want to bring up, there are two major things that I want to talk about with your book. And one is the idea of we can do hard things. Mm. And it seems so simple, like if you just like say it, but like it actually, and this is just going to sound cheesy and it's just like a little gush for one second. I heard it in a time in my life where like it actually resonated and, and like how you said earlier, like moved my brain around. Mm. And I also have never really talked super duper publicly about this, but absolutely had drinking problem and um, was really struggling with alcohol and use it to numb. And I had patterns and I knew them and I ignored them because I was numbing and trying to escape. And I was reading your book um, and, and then I was like, I need to do hard things. And mm-hmm. I stopped drinking June 1st and I haven't had a drink since. Wow. And every time I want to drink, I say, Dubs, we can do hard things. We can do them. And like, as like the Trump administration was trying to reverse trans healthcare, all I wanted to do was drink. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I have to get through this without alcohol. And then I went to the, the Black Trans Lives Matter March in Brooklyn on Sunday. And I wanted to celebrate because there were 15,000 people there. And I wanted to drink and I didn't. And then Monday, the Supreme Court passed, um, you know, anti-discrimination laws and I wanted to drink and I didn't. And so Glennon, I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for writing that and put, having it come into my life in the exact moment I needed to hear it because we can do hard things. Oh my God. Okay. So I need to ask you. Okay. Yeah, so please. First of all, you know, that's the phrase that got me through early sobriety. Like mm-hmm. that's how I used that every day. I know. Yeah. What? For you. Okay. So you, you just had all of these experiences where your first instinct would be, okay, I'm pissed. I drank. 
I'm sad, I drink. I'm despondent, I drink. I'm happy, I drink. <laughs> Celebrating, I drink. Okay, so you didn't drink all those times. So my question to you is like, what is better then? Like, <laughs> right, I really, like, really, yeah. like, because this is what's, I mean, I, I think I, I know now for me, like why the, the why it's better for me not to, mm-hmm. but like, what have you found that you're better off for having not <laughs> had drinks in those particular moments than that you are, you know, than that you would have. Do you yeah. feel like you're better off now than you would have been? I, I think so. I, I think it's still so <laughs> new that I'm still trying to like figure it out. Yeah. But I mean, I remember everything now. Like mm-hmm. I, nothing has been blacked out. I'm like, I wake up and I'm like, do you, do, I, do you ever have these moments? I truly have never talked about this with anyone yet, but like, have you ever had these moments where you like, you like think you should be drunk. And so you kind of feel like a fake drunk. Yeah, like totally. in this moment, I should be drinking and drunk right now, or like waking up and like I should be hungover, so I feel sick, but like I'm not. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I still, I have those moments. Okay, I've been sober for 18 years, and I still have that. Every time there's like a police officer behind me, I swear I'm wasted. Like I can't. I have to like how do how do sober people drive? How do so like what do I do with my hands? I, 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 I am sober. Like just be normal. <laughs> just be cool. Just, just be cool. cool. Yeah. Be cool, Glennon. Oh my gosh. Okay, good. So that's normal. That feels good. Um, I don't know if I would judge my responses by what's normal, but I, (laughs) I also really, it makes me feel more normal that it's not just me. Right. Um, I don't know. I think the other, the other, um, the other like big piece of it is like, which I've kind of like learned from you and also Brene Brown of like, keeping boundaries and keeping promises that I've made to myself. Mm. And like, I've never, ever, ever in my life kept a promise or a boundary until very recently. And it's like, what would it feel like if I set a goal for myself and I actually accomplished it? Oh God. And I have my like Brene Brown post-its like sitting on my computer oh, of, my. Like, of like reminding me every time I look at it of like, keep your, pro-. and it feels so fucking good to keep a promise to yourself. It's so empowering. I think that's the main thing is like, I can keep doing this. I do. I think that's it too. It's the, it's the reward that comes from not abandoning yourself. Yeah. It's like, we would never be friends with someone who treated us the way we treat ourselves. We never would. We would never be friends with somebody. Well, I may have at one point in my life, but now that I'm healthier, (laughs) I would never (laughs) continue to have someone in my life who constantly let me down, Mm -hmm. who didn't show up who left me every time I was in pain, yeah. which is what drinking is, right? It's like, I feel pain, so I'm out of here. Totally. Yep. Right? And then we just become these people who are just like, I don't know, just reacting to, we, we don't trust ourselves, mm-hmm. right? We're not good friends to ourselves. We're not reliable to ourselves. We're not. So I think maybe that's one of the rewards yeah. is just being able to depend on yourself and knowing that you're the kind of person that's going to stay with you. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to find people who won't leave us. Yeah. But we like first have to become people who won't leave us. (laughs) Yeah. I was on a walk and I was like, and I had this one of those like aha moments. I was like, I'm my own constant. Oh my God. And it just was like, am I high? And I wasn't. But I was like, like, (laughs) this is one of those moments where I'm wasted, but I'm not sure. Yes, exactly. I am my own constant. Oh my God. I think that's what I was trying to get at with the touch tree thing. Mm. Like this, Mm -hmm. this thing, I'm always like looking for something outside of myself to tell me if I'm okay. Yeah. Right. And then if over time you become a person who 
who can tell yourself you're okay because you are your own constant because you're never going to abandon yourself and you will always be there. You walk through the world with just this different kind of, of comfort and, and confidence. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, confidence. Do you know what the word confidence means? With fidelity. It means with honor to self. Wow. I didn't right? know that, but yeah, like, <laughs> right, right. Like with confit, confid, like with, I will, I will never abandon myself. Wow. I will be true to myself. And so that's where that confidence comes from because you know that no matter what situation you get in, you're going to be there to take mm. care of you. Wow. Hell yeah. yeah. I love that. Ah. And it doesn't mean that things start going right. Like this is not my experience. <laughs> right. No, no, of course not. <laughs> no, no, no. Everything <laughs> continues to be a shit show. Okay. <laughs> that's, and that was a hard thing for me to learn in early sobriety because I had been so sick for so long. So I got sober when I was 25 and I had become bulimic when I was 10 and then alcoholic at 18. So it had been most of my conscious life. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and like so many addicts, I had just, you know, burned every bridge in my life. I was like, I was extreme. Okay. Um, and so, so many people in my life were desperate for me to get better mm-hmm. because I was ruining their lives. Right? So they're, <laughs> <laughs> so there, so the refrain sort of felt like it was that the alcohol was the problem. And if I could just quit that, everything would be good. Mm-hmm. So when I quit drinking, it was kind of devastating because everything wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it wasn't like this promised land that I had told myself for so long, if I just quit drinking, like, I will feel good and things will be normal and life will be less hard. And so... I went to my, I think I was my fifth or sixth recovery meeting and I finally got up the nerve to speak, to say something. So I stood up and said, my name is Glennon and yada, yada. And I um, feel I've been sober for six days and I feel awful. Mm -hmm. And I'm really scared because uh, I thought my, I thought the drinking was the problem, but now I think that I just might be the problem. Mm. Right. That like the problem was actually underneath all the booze. The problem is me that everyone else has the secret to life that makes it so much, that it it feels so much harder for me to be human than it looks like it is for everyone else. Mm -hmm. Right. So I sat down and this older, I'll never forget her face. Angel of a woman came and sat down next to me at the end of the meeting. And she said, honey, I have to tell you something that someone told me in early sobriety. And that is that you're not doing life wrong now you're just finally doing it right. Mm. And doing life right is really, feeling all your feelings is really, really hard. That's why so. (laughs) Totally. But the secret is that, that, that success in being human is not feeling happy. It's feeling everything. Mm. Mm -hmm. That all feelings are for feeling, even the hard ones. Mm -hmm. And Deb's like, I understand, like you said, that that sounds simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds right, like it right. should be obvious, right? Right. right? But it blew my freaking mind because we are not taught that. We are raised in a culture that promises us that success is being happy and grateful, mm-hmm. right? That, that happiness and gratitude and joy and all of those things are for feeling and like shame and, and fear and rage and envy and all of those feelings are for hiding and for numbing. Mm-hmm. And nobody else feels those. It's just you and you have a problem, mm-hmm. right? So this idea that actually, oh, no, no, all my feelings are for feeling and I can just like sit with them and let them be and not numb them, mm-hmm. not deflect them onto other people, right? Not do any of those things we do. 
and, and I don't know if you'll find this, but it does make you a little bit less efficient, hmm. right? I think that some of this is, is not just, I think some of it's from capitalism. I really hmm. do. Like we have to stay productive. Yeah. So, product, so feeling all your feelings does make you a little bit less of a, of a production machine, mm-hmm. I have noticed. Um, but that's, the, that's when I realized I'm going to just try this way of life. Just like actually feeling it all. Um, and I was teaching at that time. And right around noon every day, I would just start to feel all of the terror of being human without any escape plan. Because this is what all the booze is, right? It's just the like, okay, I can do this, but then I have an escape plan at the end of the day right. every day. Yeah. So it starts to feel claustrophobic. Like, wait, I can never leave? Like, it, it can start panicking you. And so each day I would walk my little class, my little third graders, by my friend Josie's classroom because she had this big sign above her window that just said, we can do hard things. Mm. And I needed it every day. Like every single day I would walk by. And it was something about that sign that was like, oh, it's not hard because I'm doing it wrong. It's hard because I'm doing it right. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I don't have to stop just because it's hard. Right? That's the thing. Like, we think, and and it made sense to me in teaching because I would teach little ones as my favorite thing to do. It still is. And I would be able to show that to them. Like they're trying their cursive, right? And it's getting really hard and frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I would understand how to say, oh no, sweetie, you're feeling that hard. And that just means that we haven't practiced a lot and we're going to keep going. It's okay to keep going. Mm. And that's what I had to remind myself that, oh honey, it's okay that it's hard in the beginning. Like that doesn't mean you're, you should stop. Like just keep going keep going. Right. And then something about the, we was so important because I experience life. I have always been like a loner person. Okay. Like I, I just, no matter how many people I'm surrounded with, no matter what's happening, I am always hyper aware that I am alone in this skin. (laughs) Okay. And I I find it utterly terrifying. Like I don't, I can't actually still wrap my head around the fact that it's just going to be me in here until the day I die. So the we, I think is such a good reminder of the human experiences, which is that we are doing these hard things like loving and losing and figuring out our identities. And we're doing all these things alone, but we're also doing them alongside all of the other people in the world who are doing those same things at the same time. Yeah. Right. So there's a weeness about life that I can't make it through without staying conscious of all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's like the, the community and the connection piece that I keep, that I think about all the time of like, it's like, we have to do this together mm-hmm. yeah. and like, we have to show up for each other because it sucks to like, be like the bag of bones, like by yourself. It's oh, like, God. I can't do this by myself. I'm my own constant. That sounds awful. Someone, <laughs> you know, like, I need other people who are their own constants. Like yeah. we can't, we can't be alone alone. Right. We, we are alone. So we have to be alone together. <laughs> right. Option here. Exactly. Um, and another, another like piece of, um, of like, of this, of, of your book, I mean, is like this idea of like running towards the fear and like running into it. And this kind of just ties into like the feeling, the feelings and the fear. And it just, it, I feel like you and Brene Brown have like really guided me into like, just like being such a better person of like sitting with fear and 
not numbing because, you know, something I learned from Renee is when you numb the pain, you also numb the joy. Yeah. And I never thought of it that way before. And it's like, that's so true. Yeah. That's and like, what, yeah, it's such a bad system. Like, <laughs> would yeah. it be better if we could just selectively numb? That would be perfect. But yeah. Not the way it works. No, not at right. all. Um, mm. So I just, um, I just think about like doing hard things and daring greatly and those, those like intertwine so lovely of like, just like as like a life mantra and also like we can do the hard because all of that is a hard thing. Like doing all of the, like showing up and taking risks and going towards fear and sitting in the feelings. Those are hard things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I tweeted at Brene and asked if she could write daring greatly so I could get it tattooed. And she I, I actually think I saw that tweet. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. So she tweeted back and was like, you should get it in your own handwriting. So when you're face down in the arena, you can remind, like, it's you who reminds yourself. And I was like, first of all, that's like the most Brene thing. That is the Brene-est Brene that ever brene <laughs> Yeah. So I, so I got my Daring Greatly tattoo in my own handwriting. Oh, so, so fantastic. I wouldn't be mad if you wrote, we could do hard things and I would get it tattooed. Oh my God. But no pressure. But no so pressure. should I do the Brene thing and say that you should write it? In your, no, I'll just send it to you. Yeah. I just, <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, I got a little bit of both. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so I love, I want to go back to the story when you met Abby really quick, mm-hmm. because I, when I read it in Untamed and then I've, I've listened to interviews of you talking about it and I, I was watching the Reese, um, the Reese uh, Witherspoon video of you standing up and just like not having any control over your body. I love that with all of my heart and I cannot wait for my moment like that. Oh, I can't wait for your moment like that either. Mm. The moment when you just can no longer contain yourself. Yeah. That's, that's, I just never thought Dubs in a million years. And I mean, I had to wait till I was, when I was 42 years old, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and there it was. Yeah, that's a family joke now. This is like family folklore now in our house. Like when somebody walks in, we will one of us will stand up and throw our arms open. I love it. And you know that how I had to get out of that situation. I had to. <laughs> okay. I, I know, but please tell it. <laughs> okay, so there's no the, the other family thing is there's no awkward moment that I cannot find a way to make more awkward. So that's what <laughs> that's what I did. So. So she walks in the room and, and Debs, we're at a table. We're, 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 I, we were all releasing books. So it was like 10 writers, okay? 10 mm-hmm. like writers along around a table trying to make small talk with each other. And Abby shows up in the doorway because she's releasing a book too. She was releasing her first memoir. And first of all, I wasn't the only one looking at her like, what is happening? Because it was like, she just looks... She's just the coolest cool that ever cooled. So she, it was like the Mockingjay had just arrived at our little nerdy book party is how mm-hmm. I describe it. Like it was, everyone was like, what's happening? But when I saw her, I lost my damn mind, right? So <laughs> I was having that moment of there she is, like something wild is happening right now. Like mm-hmm. I am hearing from a part of myself I have never heard from before. I don't know what's going on. But then Dubs. I stood up in the middle of the room and opened my arms to her like this, okay? Wide open. So now I'm staring at her smiling with my arms wide open. Uh, And poor Abby is like, what is happening? 
<clears throat> and so now I've come to consciousness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I realize that I'm standing with my arms wide open, the only one in the room, and that all of the people at the table are now staring at me. So now I have to find a way to get from here back to my seat. So because I am such a quick thinker, <laughs> I decided, okay, I'll just bow deeply. And then maybe everyone will think this is just like <laughs> one of my greetings, right? So I bowed and then sat back down like this and then just broke eye contact with all people just hoping. But like in circles like this, you could almost get away with shit like that because writers are so weird. <laughs> that like We're so weird that like probably eight of the 10 people at the table were like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that tracks, oh right? Yeah. Oh, Lord. But I love that with all of my heart. I truly, when that happens, when I meet my person, I'll tell you. Are I you going to tell I'm me? I'm going to arms wide open and bow. And you have person. to do it. And I, you well, have absolutely. to think, yes, that's what I need. I need yes. that kind of recognition because yes. there are moments in life that actually, I mean, I, you know what? I'm going to reclaim that story. Like we tell it in our family as a kind of like, oh God, there Glenn goes doing mm. her weird thing. But actually there are moments in life that deserve this sort of, of, um, recognition. Oh right? yeah. 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 Like there's whole, um, there's whole systems around who you're supposed to bow to in England. Like this is just, you know, I was recognizing a magical moment of my life and commemorating it. Yeah. In my own awkward way. And yes. like, and how lucky, how lucky are you to be able to have a moment like that where you're so like, out of body that you don't even know what your body's doing. Like that's so lucky to like be able to experience life in such a, like, that feels like the realest thing that could ever happen. Like that was just like the most authentic reaction and it's awesome. And please reclaim it. Also, it's fun to like make fun of yourself. And (laughs) And. it's like, like how awesome to be able to feel so react, like deeply authentic and like do it. No one does that because we're conditioned to feel shame when we present our like weirdo selves. It's such a good point. It's such a good point. And I really, I think when I say the words, I couldn't contain myself any longer. I mean that really in a layered way. Like I don't, I'm not just using that phrase as something people say. I'm like, no, when I met Abby, I stopped containing myself. Mm -hmm. Meaning I stopped acting. Yeah or forcing things or like, and I don't, and I mean that in every way. Like, I think I'd been practicing that before I met Abby for a long time. People are always like, would you have written Untamed without Abby? And I mean, I, I actually think in many ways, you know, I grew up in a religion that told me that I should believe certain things and act a certain way and not admit certain things and not include certain people. And I had been reeling against that for a decade, right? Like there were, there were all part, there were parts of me that knew that, what I was being conditioned to live as wasn't it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it wasn't like Abby was the beginning of all of that, but it was definitely like Abby was like the culmination mm-hmm. of like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. all of it is over. I'm not, because what I realized is when I was trying to figure out like, am I going to be open to that? Like, am I going to trust this thing that just happened to me? Am I going to, I realized, Oh, Okay. So, so I have been out there for a long time saying like, we should trust ourselves. Like we should, we should, but 
it's so different than being out there saying we should trust ourselves than deciding that you are a human being who's going to trust yourself to lead your own life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of the, um, the bringing into my own life all the things that I had been playing around with in my mind. Yeah. And like embodying it, all of it in my home and in my relationships in my life. Just not containing myself anywhere. Yeah. What a special moment to, to reclaim and commemorate. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, that's really, really awesome. Um, and another awesome thing that you do as a human, besides being amazing, is Together Rising. Mm, um, yeah. I, I could explain what it is, but I'm sure you can explain it way better. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, the, the overview of Together Rising is that it's the non, it's really, to, everything I do is about Together Rising. Okay, I really think like every word that I speak or to, it's all just really about, it, this is what life does to you. It gives you like this little, well, what would we call it? Like a gift or a talent. Okay, so mine would be writing. And then you're like, oh, my job is going to be to write, right? That's how the universe gets you, like to do your thing. Mm-hmm. And then you're doing it for a while and then you find out, oh, this is really like just about service. <laughs> right? It's like the hook is the, the mm-hmm. talent. Who's paying attention really just ends up in the big service lane, and that's what we're all doing. So, his artist's job is to pay attention, mm-hmm. right? And when you really start paying attention to human beings, you fall in love with them. This is what yeah, happens, right? Totally, it's inevitable. You can't stop it. So, Together Rising is the nonprofit that I started with my sister. Um, that really just exists to connect people who are brokenhearted about the world with people on the ground, serving effectively, doing the work that will solve the thing that they're brokenhearted about, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I figured out early on that, um, that I, well, the way it started, we started with these flash mobs. So um, the quick story behind that is that one day I checked my email and there was a, a letter written to me from a woman who lived in Indiana about this home that she was running for um, homeless, for, for teenagers who were homeless and either pregnant or had babies. And she was just brokenhearted because a 14-year-old girl had come to the, the, the home the night before holding a baby and she couldn't let her in even though she had a room because there was a bunch of red tape and bureaucracy and money that she mm. needed to accept another child into the home. And so I read this email and I was like, oh, we can fix this. I can, I can fix this. I did my like hero thing. I called her. I was like, we've got this. I want to help. How much do you need? And she said, we need $80,000. And I said, okay, well, we need another plan. because <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Do you need a whole other plan? Okay. So then I was so frustrated because you know when you know they're supposed to do something, but then there's like an obstacle and then, but you're like, no, but I know I was supposed to be involved in this. Mm-hmm. So what I figured out is, oh, this isn't about me. Okay. So that's usually Deb's my first. <laughs> Every time it takes me about 13 minutes to get to that. Okay. You're always going to get there. So, right. Every time still. Every time. Okay. Um, the time has shrunk. So that's good. I'm hoping by next year it'll be 12 minutes. That's I'm progress. Sorry. Right. So... I, but I thought, okay, but I do have this um, ability to storytell, okay? And I do have this community of human beings who I know, if they hear this story, will be exactly as motivated and brokenhearted as I am and will want to do something. So my job as a storyteller is to be a bridge between these two, pe- these two groups of people. So mm. this woman from the ha- home and I 
we stay up all night. We write this beautiful article, really, just this essay about the home, about what was needed, yada, yada. The next morning we wake up and we post the story on my blog and we open up the giving. And the, um, I think the secret behind all of this has been that we wouldn't let anybody donate more than $25. Mm. That's really because it just, I knew that it needed to be about community giving because we have this idea in our head that giving is for like rich people. Yeah. Right. And I felt like it was so important to democratize that and just say, no, no, no. Like I wanted the, the, the person who showed up for whom $25 was a big deal to feel equally invested and important as the person for whom $25 was no big deal. So that day, I mean, I think by noon we had $87,000, right? Like it was so wild. And I remember calling her and saying, we have it. Can you go get her, go get that girl. And she said, Oh, Glenn. And I went and got her two hours ago. I just had faith this would work. I was like, oh my God. Wow. Oh wow, wow, my wow. God. <laughs> so anyway, fast forward a decade later, we've now raised $26 million and the average donation is still $23. It's wow. just like people coming together around causes. And then, and then of course it's grown. So now, you know, we are one of the number one um, organizations reuniting families at the border. We're one mm. of the number one organizations building LGBTQ uh, uh, shelters, like place and mentoring for kids who've been rejected by their families. Like it's, and and what we're really good at is knowing what we're not good at. Mm. So never in a million years do we do or enter into, we don't tell people what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. All right. We collect the funds. We storytell to change consciousness and awareness. And then we get the funds to the, the people on the ground who have been doing the work and building trust in these communities and um, who have been in the fight for, for much, much longer than most of us have been, but who don't get the funds because, well, because they're not led by nonprofits led by a white woman who's saying, give us your money. Right. Right. So, so I, um, and you know, so many of these groups are led. So many of these groups that we find that are the most trusted are small, nimble groups led by women led by women of color, led by LGBTQ women. These are all the people who, who know what to do because they've mm-hmm. been in the fight for so much longer. So that's yeah. such an exciting part of it to me, just to be like, I don't know. It almost feels like a little Robin Hoodie every once in a while. Like <laughs> it just, you know, changing the financial dynamics of these, uh, of the nonprofit world is exciting. But it's the, it's the, it's the best thing Besides my marriage and my children, it's the best thing in my life. That's amazing. Wow. That's such a, it's such an important, I love, first of all, I love that you are using your power and privilege and platform and to help the communities that are already doing the work. Like, I think that that's like just number one key is so lovely. And like, I think there, lots of people have like the white savior complex of like, I'm going to fix this. And it's like, no, people are already doing it. Nope. Step away. No, nope. and like listen. Just a bridge. Yep. Just and a bridge. I just I love that that especially you you saying using storytelling as a way to change consciousness mm-hmm. and like that's what I mean that's what thank you for coming out is is like a yes, space not only for like the podcast but also the live show of like seeing the storytellers who get to see their coming out stories reenacted. Mm-hmm. They've shared that it's healing because like people are laughing, but not at them. They're laughing with them and they're feeling the, the, the changes and they're something that was potentially traumatic or, or hard. The improvisers are picking up on other little details of like that are, are funny. And it's like, it's healing. Yeah. And I think, and it's, 
it's that piece. And then it's also the piece of the storytelling of, of when people hear stories and can connect with a piece of it, it shifts. That's what shifts the consciousness. So I'm like, and that's what, and it kind of ties back to what I was saying of like, am I going to like understand your book because you're talking to women? Right. I mean, that, and that's like a gross overstatement. Of course I would understand it. But the fact that I so deeply was changed, like molecularly is just, is a, is a testament to the power of storytelling and how we're able, even if we don't share every identity that the storyteller is holding, we're humans. And like the humanity of storytelling and, and, and the, and the idea of not being alone Mm -hmm. is all of this. And, and these, these, these organizations that are partnering with Together Rising and knowing that they can count on you all for the support that they need to get their work done. Our liberation is all tied up together. That's correct. And it's just what it is. It's amazing. And if we can figure out a way for, thank you for coming out to also help support Together Rising and like, some kind of storytelling something. I am here for that because I love what you all are doing so, so much. Same, same. I would love that. I'm sure now that we've put it out there, the idea will come to us tomorrow. Great. That's the way it works, right? We have yep. asked the universe to show us how mm-hmm. to work together. And I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're in the same, that's it. I mean, the storytelling piece, it's easy, I think, especially as storytellers to kind of discount sometimes the importance of it, but it's everything. It's everything. Everybody's telling a story. And, and if we don't tell our stories, somebody else is always telling a story that is not true, right. that is not real, that is not right. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, well, it goes back to the beginning that all we can do and is uh, help people feel less alone. And the good news mm-hmm. is that that's all we have to do. Yeah. That that's everything. Yeah. I, um, there's this other project that I do just really quick. It's called craft your truth. Mm-hmm. And we partner, we've been partnering with this organization in New York city called new alternatives and they help LGBTQ youth experiencing homelessness, mm-hmm. provide resources and meals and, um, social services. And so what I, what craft your truth does is we bring in teaching artists and we pair them with these clients and they get to spend the day crafting some kind of story, whether it's, like spoken word or a poem or a song or a rap or a scenes. And then they get to perform it either to a paying crowd that's raising money for themselves, like for new alternatives or for each other. Mm. And, and what is the most incredible thing about doing something like this and giving the space is the feedback, which is I didn't think anyone even cared about what I had to say. Mm-hmm. And it, and I think that's what, and like every, I hear that in my mind all the time. And it's like, that's all I care about. Yeah. is hearing your story. And if, and if, if, if I can give you a platform to do it, that's all I'm going to do is work to give you a platform because we care and I feel connected to you. And it's one of those things where it's like, I never knew that I could feel connected to people outside my bubble. Like, that's just like, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a privilege, which is, you know, working on it. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's, yeah. it's magical. And just like the, the power of not only of just being able to share your story and knowing that you matter is mm-hmm everything. Cause that's what it is. They're saying when they're saying, I didn't know anybody cared about my story. Yeah. What they're saying also in that is I didn't know anybody cared about me. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because all we have is our stories. All we have is our identities. Like oh, that's everything else is just capitalism. Like that's literally all we have. Yeah. Right. And white supremacy culture. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, that is, that is liberation work. Yep. 
Right? Yeah. Good job, Dubs. Carry on, warrior. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Okay, so I don't I don't want to do this, but I have to move us into our last segment, which is a very fun, lighthearted, rapid fire questions. Okay, great. Um, and just whatever comes to mind first, answer. There are no right or wrong answers except one. You'll know it, and it's all just for fun and games. Okay, 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 okay. Oh God, okay. Okay, pencil or pen? Pen. Acting or singing? Singing. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Totally. (laughs) Beach or mountains? Beach. Meat or veggies? Veggies. Bagels or donuts? Donuts. (gasps) Bagels is the answer. (laughs) Dubs, it's okay for us to be different and still love each other. Listen to me. You're right. Sugar is the last addiction I have. And they mm. will take it from my cold, dead hands, is what I'm telling you, Dubs. Okay. Don't mess with my donuts. I won't. Okay. I, will not, I promise. Love me. Scouts on your Love me <laughs> for who I am. I do. I promise I love you for who you are. <laughs> um, train or plane? Mm-hmm. Plane. So I think we know the answer, but sweet or salty? Sweet. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Yeah. Night or day? Day. And favorite kitchen item? Abby. Oh my God. That's the (laughs) cutest, best thing I've ever heard. (laughs) She's the reason we eat. So I'm sorry. She's the most important thing in my kitchen. (laughs) That's amazing. I was secretly hoping you were going to say your Yeti, like, drink. Oh, oh my God. Did you see the Brandy Carlisle Yeti? Yes, that's what I'm, that's what I'm referring to. And it's the best. Okay, Dubs. What you, first of all, Brandy Carlisle (laughs) is one of the ones who called me and helped me through. Oh, that's Um, so lovely. She is a angel on earth, that woman. Oh my God, I love her. Okay, but also what you don't know is that after that very important gay Yeti Twitter situation, (laughs) that Yeti sent Abby and me all of these Yetis. Our kitchen is now, it's the first time anyone's like seen something on Twitter and being like, you have to have all this stuff. Like our, our kitchen is just full of Yetis now. It's so amazing. Like it's, it was so, it was wonderful. It was an important day for us. <laughs> I, lo- I loved it. I love that, that thread so much. You're like, Jesus, I've been drinking out of straight cups. Like I just, just the dr- you're a dream. Me, the gay possessions manual. Yes. Freaking drinking out of these ridiculous straight cups for Did so long. Did you get long. your toaster? Yeah, uh, uh-huh. Okay, yes. Good. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm checking them off. I'm checking them off. Great. I think that Brandy is either Brandy or Abby said I need to get a beanie also. Oh, so, totally. Do you have a Subaru? In a flannel, we do not have a Subaru either. I'm behind. Listen, Subaru. <laughs> Send Glenn and Abby a Subaru pronto. Exactly. We'll see. <laughs> um, Glennon, this has been such a treat. Thank you so much for spending the afternoon with us. Oh, it was just, I knew it was going to be great, but it was just greater than I thought it would be. Debs, you oh, are so wonderful. And can we you. stay in touch? Do you have my info? Um, I don't, but I'll okay. get it. <laughs> I'll have my sister get, send it to you. Okay. Be in touch. I would love that with all my heart. Okay. We uh, adore you. I adore you. Thank you for coming out, Ben. And... Bye. Bye. Thank you for coming out. Hey, it's Dubs Weinblatt, your host of Thank You For Coming Out. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. Please subscribe to our podcast on the platform of your choice. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps.